Well, many of you were probably gone last week as I was, and it was uh, good to be able to be away. Uh, we left here uh, on Saturday morning and got into New Orleans late Saturday night, and I enjoyed, uh, someone asked me where I went to church last Sunday, I enjoyed not going to church last Sunday and kind of uh, sleeping in some. Now, some of you are going to think, what a heathen, and then uh, the very people that said that, they weren't in church last week either, but... Uh, that's, uh, it was great to be away, but I, it, it was a reminder of things, uh, several opportunities this week and several times this week as we kind of interfaced with some people in New Orleans. We were, of course, shopping uh, one of those days because that's one of my favorite things to do, which is going to go right in line with this sermon today about worldliness. Uh, but we were, we were shopping and we had run it, we had gotten some kind of athletic shirts for Anderson and whatnot, and we hit, a, we hit a great sale. They were like five bucks a piece, and that's like, that's awesome. So we're shopping in the middle of Dillard's there in New Orleans, and uh, this lady comes up, and she, of course, is shopping for her son as well, and she noticed what, uh, she noticed we had all these shirts in our hands. She goes, well, where did you get those? And I said, oh, it's on the clearance rack over there. And so she drops this explicative, and then she says, I'm going to have to get me some. And I was like, no, she just didn't do that. And so I was looking at Tammy. I was like, gosh, I, you know, and, and we, were, we went to eat in New Orleans. And um, as we left our restaurant in the French Quarter, um, one of the things, favorite things that I love about New Orleans is they have a lot of street artists. And there, there were these two violinists out on the street who had kind of uh, basically hitchhiked their way from Ohio. Um, and we walked out of the restaurant. Now, normally, some of the artists that perform in New Orleans are not things that you want to hear or listen to. But these two guys, we, they were just, they were kind of doing a dual violin against each other. Beautiful classical music. I actually recorded uh, some of it on my phone. But as I, as I, as I sat there in, in front of uh, St. Louis Cathedral listening to this music, there was a crowd that began to swarm around. And there was this other lady that I, I posed, uh, my wife's looking at me. She was like, I can't believe she's telling, he's telling the story. Uh, there was this lady out of the, the peripheral view. Now, gentlemen, you know what happens when you see a lady in the peripheral view. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. So I see this lady in the peripheral view, and, and Tabby nudges me, and she says, we need to stay and see what that's going to be about. And so, uh, so and, and the, t- the tempt is right here. And so I'm sitting there, and I look over, and I, you know, I had the peripheral, but now I have the full gaze of seeing what this lady looks like. And, you know, some of you, I, I'm not going to ask this, but some of you know what Victoria's Secret is? You know what that is? Yeah. Well, let me just say this. There were no secrets uh, as, in front of St. Louis Cathedral on, on Wednesday night. While some of you were in church, I was being scandalized. And so... Um, as I, was, as I was standing there, this, this lady, and she had, a, she had a gentleman with her, and obviously he was drunk or on something, and uh, just, they, they were they're causing a commotion. Meanwhile, this classical violin is going on in the background. I'm like, only in New Orleans. And I looked over, and I, I thought, you know, uh, the two things came to my mind. This is someone's mama, and this is someone's daughter. And when I have to tell you, I've, I mean, I've seen some skimpy dressing uh, before, but this was the skimpiest dressing I've ever seen on a female species. Uh, it led nothing to the imagination. And so as I sat there and we were enjoying this music, I was thinking, and then later on we left. We did not, I will say this, we did not wait for her to do her little dance, whatever she was going to do in the French Quarter. We actually were walking down one of the streets, and lo and behold, she passes right in front of us. And I'm thinking, when I, took, when I take all that in and I look at all that New Orleans has to offer, and it's, it's kind of a dose of what I'm be talking about this morning, worldliness and the subtleness of these types of things. See, I don't think that any one of us plans 
to be worldly. I mean, we don't sit out on a course, I think I want to be a worldly person. I want to have worldly ambitions. But somehow or another, worldly types of things creep up into our lives, creep up into our behaviors, creep up into our desires, creep up into our yearnings and longings. And it's the very thing that John wrote about in 1 John. He wanted the people, now John's all about love. I mean, most, most of the gospel of John's about love. Most of the letters of John are about love. But we come to verse 15 of chapter 2. Uh, here in the gospel of or in the in the in first John chapter two, and it says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them." And I'm like, "Okay, that's great, John, but you're not God." And so my immediate counteractive to that is, I mean, we know John three sixteen. What does John three sixteen say? Whoa! For God so loved the world, and then we have. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world. I mean, that looks like a, con- a contradiction in terms. I mean, one thing we have Jesus saying, or John writing about, about Logos, or writing about Jesus saying, you know, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then we come to the letter of John in 1 John chapter 2. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. So what, what's happening here? Well, let me just uh, say this as we, as we begin our intro today, that... You know, one of the things playing out here is it's not the fact when we talk about world, we have we think of earth, we think of we think of what the world has to offer. But when John is writing about the world, the Greek word there is cosmos, and the word there means two different things. It can mean the material world, whereas God created the world and the things in the world, such as creation, trees, plants, flowers, and all that. Or it can mean, and this is what John is interpreting at in 1 John chapter 2, this is what he's meaning. It means those things that are diabolically opposed are those things that stand in direct defiance to the will of God and to the direct defiance of the gospel that we are to love to engage and to reach all people. So when he says, do not love the world or anything in the world, he's not saying that it's okay to litter. He's not saying that we don't need to care for the world. He's not saying that we should not love lost people. He's saying do not be caught up in the pattern that the world offers that stands in direct opposition to him. So if I was going to, if, if I was going to speak about this day, which I am, I would say that first and foremost for us, we should not flirt with the world. And it's so hard not to flirt with that which we find ourselves in. It's hard not to be worldly when everything we watch, when everything that we, we buy, practically everything uh, that we visit celebrates, every place that we visit celebrates this type of worldliness. The Bible says, do not love the world, but actually if you do, then the love of the Father is not in you. He goes on to say, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes and their boasting about what they have and do, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. First and foremost, we must avoid being worldly. I've talked about the dualism and the dualism here in John which means you have two options. So like a couple weeks ago I said you either can choose life or you can choose death. For John you're either going to love God or you're going to love the world. And those two stand in opposition to one another. 
And so often the church, and then we look at the church today, even in our postmodern culture, we look at the church today, so much of the church mirrors the world. So much of the church's values mirror the world. That's why the statistic out there that says divorce for people that are inside the church versus divorce for people who are outside the church, they're not quite the same, but they're almost the same. They're within, they're within a, a, single, a single or double digit of each other. And so what we see in that is that the world often mirrors the culture that it's in rather than reflecting the call of Christ and being a, kind of a, an example or a beacon of light in the midst of the darkness. And, and here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. We live in a time, in an era, and in a culture where everything goes. There are no standards. There's no right. There's no wrong. It's whatever you want to do. It's, it's, it's just what, whatever you want to do, however you want to believe. Let's just, can we not just all get along? Let's just wave our little peace, uh, peace flags and all get along. Uh, you know, let's, just, let's just live in harmony with one another. God cannot, nor can God's people, live in harmony with evil. When you and I live in harmony with evil, we become not only pursuers of the world, we become lovers of the very world that you and I are called to reach. John knows this. John is living in a time of debauchery. John is living in a time of evil. And here's the thing. We're living in the same type of situation. You say, well, the end is near. Well, I don't know. I heard John Hagee say this week because we had a blood moon that the end of the world is upon us. And what I want to tell you about that is this. It doesn't really matter what the end of the world is upon us. What matters is this. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ and are you committed to making him known? Here's what, here's, here's what doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when Jesus comes back. It doesn't matter whether we're going to be here when the rapture occurs. It doesn't matter whether you and I understand exactly how the rapture occurs or if the rapture is going to occur or if, even if there's such a thing. What matters is do you love the Lord Jesus Christ and have you committed your life to him? Because here's what happens. If you and I love Jesus and we commit ourselves to him, we don't have to worry about all this other stuff what you and I have to embody is the gospel of Christ the good news for salvation to a world that does not know him we must love we must love the ungodly we must not love the ungodliness. Now, uh, when I was in high school and, 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 and coming up, and maybe you've heard this cliche, love the sin or hate the sin. Sounds real pretty. I actually hate that. Uh, and the reason I hate that is because I have found that it's very difficult to love the sinner and hate the sin because so much of what the sinner does is caught up in who they are. And sometimes people's identity is caught up in the sin that they live. So I just say, why don't we just love the sinner, period? Let's not let God worry about the sin. He's the one that died on the cross for it. It wasn't you or me. Love the sinner. Compel them, love them, embrace them. You're not embracing what they do. You're not embracing the actions that they take. But God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes him would not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but what that through the son through his son Jesus Christ basically the world might be redeemed through him or be saved through him therefore our calling is not to mirror what we find all around us and what I see in a lot of, a lot of churches today, uh, both from, from small churches to, to some of the mega churches in this country, they're mirroring what culture is. They have become so in tune with culture that on any given day, you wouldn't know whether they are followers of Christ or whether they're not. I don't want us to be, no, I don't want us to be popular. 
I want us to be known for being followers of Jesus Christ. Now, John's take on how the church should relate to culture is very simple. John believes that we should close the borders of the church. That we should not allow the influx of culture to affect. That we need to stand strong on what Christ stood strong on. And we need to be very, very adamant about the cause of Christ. And so what happens is that when we do that, we become, and if you look at that, if you look throughout history, when the church has stood strong for the cause of Christ, it has often faced persecution. And if you'll go back and you'll look in history, every time the church faces a mass persecution, the church grows by leaps and bounds. It's when the church refuses to stand strong in defiance to the world, in defiance of what, of what the world stands for. And here's the thing, God is not looking for cheerleaders, God is looking for ambassadors of his son Jesus Christ who will take up the reins and will fight for the cause. But you and I have to make sure that the cause that we fight for is worthy of the gospel. H. Richard Niebuhr wrote a book nearly 60 years ago entitled Christ uh, Christ and Culture. And in that book, he gives seven or, uh, six or seven different um, kind of uh, descriptions of how the church should relate to the world. And he, he argues, he says, sometimes the church embraces the culture that it, it is called to reach. And so that way it mirrors what the world looks like. He says, sometimes the church stands against the culture, which is much like what the Gospel of John and the letters of John would speak to. But he argues in the end that the greatest relationship that we can have with the world and the greatest relationship that you and I can have with the culture is to be a transformer of the culture that we find ourselves in. And you and I don't transform the culture. We don't change the culture by looking like it. We don't change the culture by talking like it. We don't change the culture by mirroring it. We change the culture when you and I become radical followers of a person named Jesus, who changes our lives within. And here's the thing. It's not about being Bible thumpers. That was also in New Orleans this week. Uh, I was able to see some people standing on the street corner preaching. You don't necessarily, God is not calling you to go on the street corner and throw scripture at people. God is calling you to embrace, calling us to embrace the world that you and I are in to the point that we embrace the ungodly and show them the cause and the reason for in them. Now, in this day and time, many of you have probably seen this bumper sticker. Now, you probably can't see it in the back, but it's a bumper sticker that says coexist. How many of you have seen that? And coexist represents basically every philosophical ideology that we can find in our culture today. And it sounds warm and fuzzy. Oh boy, we're all going to get along. The problem is that Islam is wrong. The problem is that the peacekeepers are wrong. The problem is that those who are Jewish who have not received Christ, do not promote Christ, do not follow Christ, they're wrong. They've turned their back on the Messiah. The problem is that those who worship Satan are wrong. They're in direct defiance of the gospel. The problem is that those that want to practice Eastern religions and Eastern mythology are wrong. The right thing is the thing on the end. It's the cross of Christ All other religions are universally wrong, not necessarily in their entirety, but in their scope. When you and I are willing to settle for anything less than Jesus, we become way too worldly for us to be able to reach. Now people say, well, Todd, that's so, you're going to take that soundbite and you're going to say, oh, the Jews are wrong. Listen, 
I'm not, I'm not a Jewish hater. I, I think Jews and I think people of Islam, even in, in some of the peaceful uh, ideas of Islam, they, they, they follow the Old Testament. And here's the scary part. It scares me when lost people are more committed to their cause than for those of us who are followers of Christ. That scares me. We look at September 11th and we think, oh, the travesty is such an event. But what can we learn from it in Christian circles? Those men who flew those planes were willing to die for their cause. I ask you, how many of us are willing to die for the cause of Christ? How many, willing, how many of us will be willing to go on mission across the world where there's not security? To go to places where the church has to be underground? Commitment. Worldliness. How often we flirt with the world that we've been called to reach. Not only should we avoid being worldly, but you and I should resist being worldly. If you look in verse 16... And the Bible says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes, and their boasting about what they have and do, comes not from the Father, but comes from the world. The cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes, the boasting of what they have and do. And here's the, here's, the, here's the question I have for you. If you want to know how worldly you are, think about these questions. One, what do you desire to be? Or what do you desire to do in life? Two, what things do you long for? What things do you yearn for? What things occupy your thoughts? If the answer to those questions are things, if the answer to those questions are doing something to make you look better, or being ahead of someone else, then you have bought into the worldly idea of what success is. Success is not acquiring a certain amount of toys in this life. Success is not being known by man. Success is not having 2.2 children and living in your dream house. Success is being faithful to the Lordship of Christ and being committed to Him and standing against those things that are wrong. Now you may say, well, Todd, when I think about religion... All religions are not all wrong. That's a very true statement. As a matter of fact, there are some elements of the Koran that I could show you this morning that would parallel to our scriptures. It, it almost looks like they were gleaned right out of our Bible. There are many things in other philosophies and religions that parallel to scripture and parallel to the teachings of what we believe. However, those other religions, those other faiths, those other philosophies... Do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea that you and I are lost. The idea that you and I can be saved by the one who has conquered death. For the one who has created. Their gods you can visit their tombs. Our God is not in the tomb. He is alive and well. And that is the, that is the difference between us and all the other philosophies and all the other world religions. I'm here to tell you that the gospel of Christ is exclusive. It is not an inclusive gospel. It is an exclusive gospel. And it's exclusively limited to those who would choose to bid and come and die and to take up the cross of Christ and pursue him with all diligence. That's why I believe when Jesus in the last days, when, when, when he comes and there are these people that have said, you know, we, we prophesied in your name, we preached about you. And Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. 
Even though they, they knew who he was in the idea of their minds, even though they had preached about him, they had taught about him. He says, away from me, I never knew you. How can that be? It can be when you and I flirt with the gospel, when you and I parade the cross around as if it's some kind of icon to enjoy. Uh, but when you and I don't take the cross personally, when we don't digest the word of God, when the word of God does not digest us, when we don't get spiritual indigestion over the world that we're called to reach, that's how you and I can become so numb. We can become so caught up in the culture that we've called, we've been called to reach for the gospel of Christ. And the thing about it is we all struggle with this. It's hard not to be worldly when you and I find ourselves in this world. It's hard not to be worldly when the values that we've been taught about success from very early on are all about the American dream. Let me go out on a limb here again and say this. God's dream is not the American dream. And the American dream for you is not God's dream. America is not a Christian nation. I want you to hear me say that. America is not a Christian nation. Because here's the thing. You can't baptize a nation. America was found on Judeo-Christian principles. Many times it is flirted with the gospel. Many times it is put, you know, it put God in the Pledge of Allegiance and all these things. And that's wonderful. But God has not called us to flirt with him. It's not about saying God bless America at the end of your speech. And that suddenly baptizes your speech as God's will for the planet or God's will for the United States. And here's the thing. doesn't matter your political party. Every political candidate does it. It absolutely drives me insane. Why? Because we become so accustomed to embracing Christian culture. And even Christian culture has become very secular. That's why it's not uncommon to read about Christian music artists who go off on the deep end or they write or they, they write a lyric to a song and suddenly it's considered heretical. Why? Because it's, it, it resonates more with the world rather than resonating with the cause of Christ. I used to think that what the church needed to do is to take Paul's statement to be all things to all people and he used to think that that meant that whatever we if we could take whatever secular idea let's baptize that secular idea and put it into motion in the church and we'll see the church grow it, it, you kind of think it might work because it kind of a, appeases the people that are, are curious about the church but in fact what happens when you and I do that is we compromise the gospel Oftentimes, because here's the thing, there's a fine balance between being in the world and being of the world. And guess what, folks? I haven't mastered the balance between those two. And I'm willing to bet that you haven't either. Because you and I struggle against the evil that's around us. You and I struggle. And how do we know these struggles? Look at 1 John chapter 2. He says, for everything in the world, everything... The cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes, the boasting about what they have and do. These things come not from the Father, but from the world. When I think about our relationship to the world that we've been called to reach, and as John basically writes here, do not love the world. What he's saying is that you and I have to stand 
for something. Because if you and I don't stand for something, you and I will fall for anything. And that's what happens time and time and time again. As I was visiting last week or this past week in New Orleans, we were able to get together with some friends. And those friends have been raised in church. Those friends have been in church since the, probably the time before they were even born. They were in church when they were in the womb. And today, those friends of ours, they don't really attend church all that often. I mean, sure, they might go on Easter Sunday. They might go on Mother's Day. Those friends don't attend church on a routine basis. You know, I was, I was raised in church. I was dragged to church against my will uh, for uh, nearly 20 years. Um, and when I went to college, what I found, I was so in the habit of going to church that the first Sunday morning I was in my dorm room, and it was Sunday morning I wasn't going to church, I felt kind of incomplete, like I felt guilty. Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like I need to be in church? And, and the thing about it is, it takes so long to get in the habit of going to church, but it doesn't take long at all to get out of the habit. Because why? Because we have a weekend and there's so many things that you and I could do on that weekend. And I think that's what's happened with some friends of ours. But here's the thing. You and I have got to set up the boundaries. You and I have got to set up the parameters of our relationship with God and our relationship with the world. We have to be willing to say, this is where I'm going to allow the world to speak to me. This is where I'm not. This is where I'm going to allow Christ to reign in me. And see, here's the thing. When you and I are deciding about Christ reigning, His will is to have all of us, every, the complete total outfit. His will is to completely transform every single iota of who we are. But He gives us a choice. And you and I can choose to dance with the devil all day long. And dancing with the devil is fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't have so much of a problem with sin. But when you dance with the devil, you and I will eventually get burned. We would save ourselves a lot of heartache if we would look at the example of other people who have tried and who have given their lives to the worldliness that's, that's here, that have pursued the things of this world. And you say, well, what, you know, what, is, it, what is God's will what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for the church? How do I know whether I'm pursuing the things of the world or pursuing the things of God? And I'll just refer you to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you look previously in the chapter, the Bible says that all these things, and the things he's referring to are up in the chapter, all these things will be added to you. And so the final question I have for you today is are you and I seeking first the kingdom of God? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God in our marriage? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God in our parenting? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God in our relationship with our uh, with our with our children, our grandchildren? Are we seeking the first uh, are we seeking first the kingdom of God in our relationship with our teachers at school? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God with our friends? with our boyfriends, with our girlfriends, is seeking first the kingdom of God really all that matters to us. And if you sit here today and you say, I know it should be, but it's not. What is it going to take for you 
and me to change. It's going to take him. First Baptist Church will grow not because we hire a staff person. First Baptist Church will grow not because you have me in this pulpit. First Baptist Church will grow not because we have a great children's minister, not because we have a great music program. First Baptist Church will grow because it is God's will for his kingdom to expand. And as long as you and I are focused first and foremost on his kingdom, not focused on building our kingdom, but focused on his kingdom, then First Baptist Church will grow. But when it grows... It needs to be very, very clear. He's the one that caused the growth. Because here's the thing. If you and I are willing to take credit for the growth, then we also need to take credit for its decline. But when you and I pursue the Lord Jesus Christ with all that we are, seeking first His kingdom, and we give Him the credit, then it diminishes, it diminishes our ownership of what's going on. John wants us to clearly understand that our relationship with the world at times is confusing. That our relationship with the world is so easily transgressed. That our, there's such a fine line between being in this world and being of this world. It's time for the church to stand strong. It's time for the church to quit being wibbly-wobbly over all these issues. It's time for the church to radically stand for Christ. And not stand, listen, not stand against people. Not stand against certain things. It's time for us to stand for Jesus. Because if you and I, if we seek first the kingdom of God, when you and I do that, when we seek first His will, which is His kingdom, then we will come to realize that we have a great responsibility to the world that we're told not to love. And our responsibility is to help transform them or to help change them for good. God never has given up on the world. God loves the world. God loves even those who are ungodly. What God does not love is ungodliness. And guess what? You and I can't love it either. We cannot flirt with ungodliness. It's not about tolerance. It's about righteousness. I'm not suggesting that we should be holy rollers. But I am suggesting that we should be radical followers of Jesus Christ. And that our fellowship of Christ needs to be more than a lapel pin that we stick on a jacket on any given Sunday. That our fellowship of Jesus is not just flirting with him. It's not just going out with him on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or a Wednesday night. But that you and I are committed in a relationship with Christ. That we are communicating on a daily basis with him. That we're seeking first his kingdom. And we're making sure that what we're trying to do. And every endeavor that we're trying to build upon of. And everything that we're trying to pursue is in line with his. With our seeking first his kingdom. I can promise you this. Coexisting will lead us all to hell. 
you might as well go to hell in a handbasket. Coexisting is a way to flirt with the evil that's out there. Coexisting may be accommodating to the culture. It may be politically correct. Guess what? The Bible is not politically correct. Jesus is not politically correct. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He does not call us to embrace everything that comes down the pike and to baptize it and to put it in action in our lives. I didn't think I'd get too many amens on this one. And that should tell us something. That all too often we have become mushy in how we relate to lost people. Lost people are lost. They need a Savior. They need Jesus Christ. And we're not going to win them by toying with their minds and making them think that we're going to embrace their foreign gods, their idols. We're going to win them by being an example of Christ, by being a pillar of the fellowship of Jesus, and by loving them despite what they do to us, or despite how they treat us. Let me tell you this, and I'll close. When you and I are radical followers of Jesus, and we are pursuing His kingdom first and foremost. Everything in the world really pales in comparison to it. Which will lead me to say, this time of year as we get ready for elections, particularly when we talk about presidential, there is nothing more volatile in a church than a discussion of presidential politics, which I love it. Um, but um, let, let, me, let me just say this. It doesn't really matter who resides at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. In the end, it really doesn't matter whether your candidate got elected or whether he or she didn't. What matters is, are you seeking first his kingdom? What does the Bible say? All these other things will pass away. They may matter in this moment. They may matter now. But in the end, what matters is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And are you seeking first his kingdom? So you can have the fun little cliches. And we can be all the politically correct that we want to be. But being politically correct often is not biblically sound. And I don't have to tell you where I'm going to rest my head and rest my allegiance. It's for the cause of Christ. I don't mean to be offensive. I don't mean to push people away. But if I have to compromise my faith and my fellowship of Jesus and seeking first his kingdom in order to try to win some people, 
When I've compromised on the foundation of who I am, when I've compromised on the integrity of what God has called me to, when you and I do that, we lose all credibility. You want to win lost people? Then you start living as Christ lived. You want to reach people for the gospel? You want to grow His kingdom? You want to advance it? You want the church to reach to new arenas and new heights like it never has been before? Then you get on your knees and you pray before Almighty God and you become a radical follower of Jesus. And together, together, we will reap the harvest. Together, we will go in this world. We'll be his ambassadors. We will be his love agents. But we will not compromise on his word. We will not compromise on his promise. We will not compromise even when there are tempting things out there. We will stand strong. Because we are more than conquerors through him. Why? Because through Christ, he's all the strength we need. How is your relationship with him? Can you say today that you're a radical follower of Jesus? Can you say that you're seeking first his kingdom? I'm not asking what other people think about your relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking what the person beside you thinks, because the person beside you, they may think you're great. But when you look in the mirror, here's the thing, we're never as great as what people think we are. But who we need to be concerned about, what does he think about you? Are you seeking first his kingdom? Are you a radical follower of his son, Jesus Christ? If you struggle with that, this invitation is for you. Because he's not called us. He's not called us to be popular. He's not called us to fit in. He's called us out of the world to be set apart for his purpose and his plan. And what we'll find the reward is this. That those, it says in chapter 2 verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. You want to live for eternity? It's time to be sold out for Christ. No half measure is going to do. No eloquent prayer is going to get you there. No amount of giving a certain amount of money or writing a certain amount of a check is going to buy your way in. It's your life. It's your choice. Either Jesus or the world. Let us pray. Lord, today we come to you in this invitation. And Lord, so often we flirt with the world that's around us and we embody the things sometimes that we shouldn't. So often it's so easy to fit in more often than not. Sometimes we compromise our faith we compromise what we believe in. We compromise the stance that we should take because we're afraid of being rejected or we're afraid of the repercussions from our employers or repercussions from our friends. We're afraid we won't be cool anymore. We're afraid we might be talked about. We're afraid we might be laughed about. We're afraid that we might be pushed to the side or ostracized. And the excuses go on and on and on and on and on. God, give us the strength to... Pursue your kingdom first and foremost. 
And Lord, as we are called to be in this world and as we find ourselves here in this place, help us to love the ungodly, but not to love the ungodliness. Help us to reach out to people. And Lord, today, many of us probably need to be reached out to. Because when we look at ourselves and we, we look in the mirror and we put a mirror up to the world, so often we are one and the same. Forgive us, Lord, for not standing for you. Forgive us for trying to be politically correct when you've called us to be biblically sound. Help us to know that we don't need to try to impress anybody or anyone except you and you alone. This invitation, if there's someone here who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, and today they want to know more about what it means to be a radical follower of him, then this invitation is for them. I pray that you give them the encouragement and the strength that they need to walk this aisle as we pray for them and as we start them on this journey. Lord, if there's others here who need to recommit themselves and kind of kind of need to do kind of a U-turn in their lives to say, God, you know, I have I've become so worldly in my ambitions. I've become so worldly in my focus. I want to be uh, just in tune with your will. I want to seek first your kingdom. I want to make it a priority in my, in my marriage. I want to make it a priority in my parenting. I want to make it a priority in my workplace. I want to make it a priority in my school. God, help me to be your ambassador. Give me the strength to that. Give me people that will pray for me today. If that's someone's prayer today, Lord, I pray that you give them the encouragement to come to this altar and to seek you just as they are. If there's others that would like to join First Baptist Church and become an integral part of the ministry as we seek to become radical followers of Jesus, then this invitation is open to them. God, as you lead and direct and as you call, may we be faithful to respond to the nudging that you give us on our hearts and on our minds as we respond to you, as we stand and sing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.